Welcome to Bible Curious, a fresh look at an ancient text where we explore the entire Bible from cover to cover, asking ourselves, what is the Holy Bible and where did it come from? What claims does it make about God? And who is this character God anyway? What message might this God have left for us today? Whether you are faithful or unfaithful, believing, unbelieving, or just plain curious, this series is for you. I'm Arthur Milliken. I never went to Bible school, but the Holy Spirit saw fit to reveal this story to me from a new perspective, one that isn't taught in Bible school. Today, we will be reading Matthew chapters 5 and 6 from the World English Bible. You can find our reading plan at biblecurious.org forward slash plan. The Gospel According to Matthew, Chapter 5, Introduction After being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, Jesus began his ministry in the city of Capernaum along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He calls his first disciples, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, as well as James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Word spread quickly about this magnificent healer, and the report about him went out into all Syria. They brought to him all who were sick, afflicted with various diseases and torments, possessed with demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan followed him. Jesus takes advantage of these enormous crowds to teach them, delivering the most famous sermon ever given. This is also the first time Jesus mentions hell, or Gehenna, as a place of divine punishment. This chapter includes the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Salt and Light, the Fulfillment of the Law, Anger and Reconciliation, adultery, divorce, oaths and vows, love your enemies. Chapter 5 Seeing the multitudes, he went up onto the mountain. When he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people reproach you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, with what will it be salted? 
it is then good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and put it under a measuring basket, but on a stand, and it shines to all who are in the house. Even so, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For most certainly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even one smallest letter or one tiny pen stroke shall in any way pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Whoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and teach others to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall do and teach them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, there is no way you will enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the ancient ones, you shall not murder, and whoever shall murder shall be in danger of the judgment. But I tell you, that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever shall say, You fool, shall be in danger of the fire of Gehenna. If, therefore, you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has anything against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are with him in the way, lest perhaps the prosecutor deliver you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and you be cast into prison. Most certainly, I tell you, you shall by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who gazes at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it away from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into Gehenna. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into Gehenna. It was also said, Whoever shall put away his wife let him give her a writing of divorce. But I tell you that whoever puts away his wife except for the cause of sexual immorality makes her an adulteress, and whoever marries her when she is put away commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to them of old time, you shall not make false vows, but shall perform to the Lord your vows. But I tell you, don't swear at all, 
neither by heaven, for it is the throne of God, nor by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shall you swear by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Whatever is more than these is of the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist him who is evil. But whoever strikes you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone sues you to take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. and Don't. Turn away him who desires to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who mistreat and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you only greet your friends, what more do you do than others? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. This sermon, for the most part, speaks for itself. Jesus introduces his disciples to his upside-down kingdom, where the poor and downtrodden are exalted above the wealthy and powerful. While the most cynical among us might listen to these words and think that Christianity is a sucker play, if you just pause and take a step back, it becomes obvious that Jesus is absolutely right. If you think of your own life as completely isolated, with no connection to anyone else, then it would make perfect sense to live selfishly and to make all decisions calculated to win at the game of life. But life is not isolated. Everything you do is connected to everyone else, and so any decision you make which adds value and longevity to the greater body of the world must be the superior choice. Jesus then walks through the major points of Jewish law, known as the Torah, and shows that there is a spirit underlying each law, that not only is it necessary to obey the law itself, it is also necessary to obey the spirit of the law by practicing right thinking. Looking upon someone lustfully is equivalent to committing adultery with them in your heart. Calling someone a fool is equivalent to murdering them in your heart. Jesus also says that it is better to sacrifice sinful pleasures rather than to be thrown into Gehenna, and Gehenna is translated to the word hell in most English Bibles. What exactly is Gehenna, and what does it mean to be thrown into it? Gehenna is a Greek word derived from the Hebrew Gehinom meaning the Valley of Hinnom, which was, and still is, an actual geographical feature lying southwest of Jerusalem, 
Gehenna, also called Topheth, gained an evil reputation as a cursed valley because in it, Jews and others engaged in the detestable practice of child sacrifice to pagan gods. This behavior angered Yahweh so much that he declared through the prophet Jeremiah, This place shall no more be called Topheth, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, and predicted that there will be so many dead bodies heaped into this valley that there will be no more room for bodies. Jeremiah chapter 19. With his references to Gehenna, Jesus is telling his listeners that they definitely don't want to be one of those bodies. While this prophecy certainly had not yet taken place in Jesus' time, and still hasn't taken place today, Jesus' warning still stands. When this event finally occurs in Jerusalem, you don't want to be one of those who are judged guilty and thrown into the valley of the son of Hinnom. Mainstream Christian theology teaches that final judgment is an event which occurs for each of us right after we die. Catholics call it the four last things, death, judgment, then heaven or hell. This doctrine is not actually taught in the Bible. It was not believed by Jesus nor by any of his followers. This is an idea which came centuries later. What the Bible does teach is that judgment will occur on earth, and it will happen to all of us together. Most of us will be alive when it happens. The population of earth is currently nearly 8 billion people. If the day of Yahweh happened today, that would be 8 billion souls to be judged. Now, what about the dead? Would they be judged as well? The answer is yes, but there's not as many of them as you might think, since most souls who have died have already been reborn into new lives, and would be counted among those 8 billion we already mentioned. But wouldn't there still be some people who have died, but are not yet reborn into a new life? These souls will be assigned temporary bodies and they will be judged in those bodies. This is what is meant by the resurrection of the dead. So, when Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it away from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into Gehenna, the warning is real. It may not happen immediately when you die, but it will happen. If our souls are eternal, and they are eternal, then the choices we make today have eternal consequences. Death is only a temporary interruption to our eternal cycle of sin and suffering. And the doctrine which Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount is really the only way to break this cycle. We must be bigger than our problems greater than our suffering. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, Introduction This is the second part of the Sermon on the Mount, 
In the first part, Jesus introduced us to his upside-down kingdom, where humility, love, and infinite generosity become the way to conquer your enemies. Having established these basic principles, Jesus moves on to more practical matters of pious living. This chapter includes giving to the needy, the Lord's Prayer, proper fasting, treasures in heaven, the lamp of the body. Do not worry. Chapter 6 Be careful that you don't do your charitable giving before men to be seen by them, or else you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, when you do merciful deeds, don't sound a trumpet before yourself, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may get glory from men. Most certainly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you do merciful deeds, don't let your left hand know what your right hand does, so that your merciful deeds may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. When you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Most certainly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into your inner room, and having shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In praying, don't use vain repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their much speaking. Therefore, don't be like them. For your Father knows what things you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with sad faces, for they disfigure their faces that they may be seen by men to be fasting. Most certainly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you are not seen by men to be fasting, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't lay up treasures for yourselves on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume, and where thieves don't break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, your whole body 
will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious for your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor yet for your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? See the birds of the sky, but they don't sow. Neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you of much more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add one moment to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, neither do they spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today exists and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Won't he much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore don't be anxious, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? Or with what will we be clothed? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Each day's own evil is sufficient. In this chapter, Jesus expands on the idea that right thinking is what makes you righteous before God, even more than the appearance of right action. While there are certainly benefits which come from demonstrating to others your righteous behavior, better is to give secretly, where the only witness to your righteousness besides yourself is God. The general rule here is, if you can see it, God can see it. And whatever you know, God knows it too. This is actually a very simple doctrine, and once you internalize it, it will lead to your salvation. You may be able to fool yourself, but you cannot fool God. When your inner eye is focused on heavenly goals, then the lamp of your body will be full of light and you will lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What are these treasures in heaven? These are your fellow companions in the kingdom of God, of course. Those whom you brought into salvation and those whose helping hands you grasped in times of need. Heavenly treasures are eternal friendships, more valuable than silver and gold. Therefore, don't be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Each day's own evil is sufficient. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, as in heaven so on earth. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. Bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've satisfied any of your Bible curiosity, please rate this series. If you have feedback, write a review. And if you are still curious for more, please hit that subscribe button so that we can send you timely updates. And join us for our next episode where we will be reading Matthew chapters 7 through 9 where we wrap up the Sermon on the Mount and join Jesus and his disciples as he spreads his ministry across and around the Sea of Galilee. This is Arthur Milliken saying good night and God bless.